Thank you, Mark. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Ruth chapter 1. Last Sunday morning, we left Naomi, uh, having just lost her husband and two sons. And we want to pick up that account in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read today's portion for us when you find it in uh, the book of Ruth. The, uh, right after the uh, first five books, Joshua judges Ruth, one of the books of history in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, let's read the word of God together. Hear the word of the Lord. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard the fields of Moab, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is God's holy, inerrant, 
an authoritative word. Let's ask for his help as we look into this passage this morning. Now, Father, we pray for the ministry of your Spirit among us today that he would uh, fill us afresh and give us eyes to see the truth contained here in this wonderful narrative. Father, as we look into your word, quicken us with your spirit, quicken me with your spirit, uh, give me a clear voice and a strong throat, and Lord, uh, speak to us through your word today, we pray through Christ, amen. As the curtain rises on our drama this morning, scene one reveals to us hard providences, uh, you Recall what a providence is that we mentioned last Lord's Day morning. Uh, last Sunday, we defined providence as the, uh, John Piper defines it this way, rather, the noun providence has come to mean the act of God's purposefully providing for or sustaining and governing the world. Sometimes his providences, his acts of governing the world, his acts of governing our lives, sometimes those providences are difficult and hard to swallow and painful and even bitter. And this is what we'll hear Naomi describe for us in scene one. Uh, and there are two things I want you to see in this opening scene. The first thing I want you to see is the return to Judah that she makes. Uh, hearing there is food in Israel, Naomi and her daughters-in-law set out for Judah. Again, notice verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is really one of the first bright spots in our story. Uh, uh, the Lord has graciously restored the food supply in the nation of Israel. Why did, it, uh, why did it stop to begin with? Well, we noticed in verse 1 last Sunday that the Lord had sent a famine on Israel. Uh, the famine was the Lord's discipline for the nation, on the nation for, for turning away from him. This is written during the period of the judges. You, you might be familiar with that. But that's a time right after Joshua died and Israel turned away from the Lord, was unfaithful to the Lord, and began to worship the idols of the nations around them. As a result, God would allow Israel's enemies to oppress them. And this would, of course, send Israel to her knees where she would cry out to God for his mercy and for his deliverance and and, and God, in his great mercy, would send a judge to deliver them, a, a local military hero to rescue them from that enemy. He, they would be delivered. They would return to a time of peace. And, and guess what happened when things turned peaceful again? Israel started down the cycle again and turned to idolatry. And you see this throughout the book of Judges, this cycle again and again. Well, this is one of the high points God didn't send an enemy in this case, sent a famine uh, to Israel to discipline them, to draw them back to himself. And that the Lord has restored their food supply is a clear indication that Israel has turned away from idolatry and turned back to him in humble repentance 
And God graciously responds by sending rain and then food. But compared to what we've already seen in the first five verses, this is a ray of sunshine. Uh, This marks an end to Naomi's tragedy and her long and bitter exile in the land of Moab. Ten years she's spent away from Israel. So verse 7 says to us, So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. This glimmer of hope for Naomi. It's a glimmer of hope for you and me too. Uh, it's a ray of sunshine breaking into your hard providence. God's discipline in the lives of his children is not random, is not pointless, and is not endless. Uh, Pastor David Strain says, God's discipline is only ever temporary in the lives of his children. It is never arbitrary or endless It has an end and a result in view. So there's a glimmer of hope here in verses 6 and 7 for Naomi and for you and me too. So we see this return to Judah to begin with, but then I want you to see also uh, this uh, return to Moab next. Uh, The second thing is, is... Naomi summons her daughters-in-law to return to Moab. She describes the hard providences that God has allowed and urges them to go back. And and she urges Orpah and Ruth to return to Moab for four reasons. First, she urges them to return to Moab for security. Uh, She urges them to go back where they can find security by by marrying again. Verse 8 in your copy of the word. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. This reference to their mother's house is important because in the mother's room was where marriages in Israel were negotiated. Uh, a mother's room were, was where they were arranged in, in the Old Testament world. So, so Naomi, thinking of, of this arranged marriage, urges them to return so they can marry again. And, and the reason she does this is, is because, because apart from God's care, this is the only way a widow could find security in the ancient world. As verse 8 goes on to say, may the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt uh, with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. That word rest there in verse, verse 9, that you may find rest, it's a, it's a, a, a reference to a place of permanence. Uh, of settling down. It refers to security and, and freedom from anxiety. And, and humanly speaking, the only place they would find this security and permanence, according to, to Naomi, is, is through remarriage in the home of a husband. Things were very difficult for widows in the ancient world. 
even more so for Ruth and Orpah, foreigners settling in Israel. One scholar says they would have been about as welcome in Israel as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. Things were not looking up for them. Should they accompany Naomi back? Girls, if you follow me back, no one's going to touch you. So turn around and go home where you can remarry and find security. The second reason she urges Orpah and Ruth to go back is, is for a redeemer. Determined to follow Naomi to Israel, Naomi explains She's not able to bear more sons for them, to carry on the family name. Uh, look at verse 10 with me. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? That rather strange wording is a reference to an ancient custom called leveret marriage. This is described in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and regulated there. And leveret marriage was when a man's brother would marry his brother's childless widow to carry on his brother's name and to raise up an heir for his brother so someone would be there to inherit the family land. It was an important custom. It, uh, it, this this substitute husband, this brother, or this near relative who would marry the widow and raise a family for him was called a kinsman redeemer. This is a very important role in the chapters ahead. We'll begin to see this come into play next Sunday in chapter 2. But Naomi explains that she's beyond the childbearing years. She cannot bear another son who could grow up and marry them and be a kinsman redeemer. There's, there's no hope of a, of a redeemer for them. In fact, it's worse than that, Naomi says. Look at verse 12. Turn back, my daughters. And, and, and this is all very impassioned speech. There's great emotion in, in Naomi's tone. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? My situation is hopeless, and so you must return to Moab for hope. Because even if I was married tonight, even if I should miraculously have twins, you wouldn't wait for them to grow up. You would be beyond childbearing years. Why are you following me? There, there's no hope. There's no point. My situation is hopeless. Please, do the sensible thing and go back to Moab. There's at least hope there. And the fourth reason she tells them to return to Moab, this one is, this one is odd. It's for escape. Return home 
so you can escape the hand of God. Boy, I want you to see this. We'll see it come up further in our passage. Look at verse 13. Uh, right in the middle of verse 13. No, my daughters. And this is Naomi saying, absolutely not. No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord is a reference to the Lord's irresistible power and His irresistible might. His power has gone out against me. And, and that phrase, gone out, is used when, a, when an army goes out to battle. When an army goes out to attack their enemy, to, to attack them with a hostile intent. And, and Naomi is saying, God has attacked me. He has treated me as an enemy, says Naomi. This is, this is a bitter cry. Listen to her accusation against God. He has botched up my life. He is responsible for this hopelessness. Please, girls, return to Moab so you can escape his hard providences in my life. Now, don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. But I wonder if there are any of us here this morning thinking the same thing. Naomi's like most Reformed people. She knows God is sovereign. Satan might have been the instrument God used. Perhaps Satan was the direct cause of something that happened to us. But even so, if Satan was the direct cause of our hard providence, wasn't it God who gave Satan the permission to act? Satan can't operate independently from God. He he must have his permission to injure us just as God gave Satan permission to afflict Job. You remember that, don't you? Job chapter 1. Hear, hear this important lesson in theology from the mouth of Job describing Job's hard providence. What did Job say and do when you remember his children were all killed in a single day? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you might be thinking, well, that's not right. It was Satan who did it. And true, Satan was the direct cause, the instrumental cause. But who gave him permission? The Lord did. And 
Job very correctly says, this is so crucial for us to see. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then here's, here's the, the author's summation of what Job just said. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job's right. So sometimes like Job and like Naomi, God allows a hard providence in our lives. And if he has, then you need to see what's coming next in our passage. When he does allow hard providences like he did in Naomi, we have hard decisions to make. We have hard decisions to make. This is what we find in scene two of our, of our drama today. Confronted with the hard providences in Naomi's life, Orpah and Ruth are forced to make hard decisions. And you and I are confronted with the same kind of decision when a hard providence is allowed in our lives. When the Lord allows these things, we must decide which way we will turn. There's really two choices that the passage presents to us. One is to turn to Moab. That's one option, and this is the option that Orpah makes in verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Uh, this phrase reveals just how difficult the decision was for Orpah and Ruth. This is now the second time they have lifted up their voices and wept. And, and, and this refers to very loud, audible crying. After the first time they lifted up their voices and wept, both Orpah and Ruth declared out of affection for Naomi that, that they would follow her regardless. They both intended to sacrifice their futures and, and stay with her and serve her. They, they had grown extremely close. Great affection uh, comes between them. And so what comes next is no doubt a very hard decision for Orpah to make. As verse 14 goes on, it says, And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, meaning that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and turned toward Moab. I mean, why shouldn't she? Hearing Naomi describe the security that a husband and family would bring in Moab, and compared to the risky and hopeless future that life in Israel would bring, Naomi chose the more sensible option. Uh, she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and she headed back to Moab. And when the Lord allows hard providences, the lure of Moab, the lure of security, the lure of a certain and stable future, the lure of the world's satisfaction and comfort, it can be overwhelming and irresistibly appealing to us. 
And when he allows hard providences, one option is to turn to Moab, to turn to comforts, the comforts that the world offers us. Of course, there's another option. And the second option in our hard providences is to turn to the Lord. And this is the option that Ruth takes as verse 14 continues further. It simply says, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. And that phrase is is very graphic and picturesque. It gives us a picture of Ruth physically clinging to Naomi to begin with, out of her affection and loyalty for her her mother-in-law. This word means to stick to something, to be joined to something, to cling tenaciously to something, to hold it fast. And clung to her describes the extraordinary and radical commitment that Ruth is making. And as our passage continues, um, there are five characteristics or ingredients of this radical commitment that we see from from Ruth, this, this Moabite woman outside of Israel. I want to point these out to you in the, the first ingredient was was that this was a commitment to Naomi uh, above any other person on the planet. Ruth is committing herself to remain with her mother-in-law. Uh, in verse 14, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi points out, look, you can still see her. She's, she's right there. You can catch up with her. Go, Ruth. Go back to Moab. And, and her reply, I don't care what Orpah is doing. I'm with you. And so don't try to talk me out of it. I will cling tenaciously to you. It's a commitment to Naomi to begin with. And second, it's a commitment to Naomi's people. As verse 16 goes on, and your people shall be my people. And so consider what, what this entails. She is turning her back on her ethnic and religious roots in Moab. And she is renouncing her citizenship in, in Moab. And she is turning to adopt Naomi's country and her people as her very own people, she will now be joined to Israel. And then the third ingredient, and perhaps the most important of all, certainly the most important characteristic of all, is that this is a commitment to Naomi's God. Verse 16, again, the next phrase says, um, and your God, my God. John MacArthur notes that this is a a clear indication of Ruth's conversion. Uh, Converting from the worship of Chemosh, the god of Moab, the god that required child sacrifice, to the worship of Yahweh, the god of Israel. Now, I, I have to ask, this is a question that springs to my mind, and perhaps it is with you, how... 
How could this happen? How could this be happening after everything that Naomi has said? Naomi is a terrible evangelist. <laughs> How could this take place? This remarkable commitment that Ruth makes. This radical commitment that Ruth makes. Well, we have to pause and remember that this is the era of the judges. And the era of Joshua was not that long ago from their perspective. Their conquest of Canaan was recent history. Crossing the Jordan on dry ground, marching around the walls of Jericho, the conquest of the land. That was not the distant past. That was the recent past, probably just one generation before Ruth's time. And it's likely that Ruth had heard those reports of what God had done for Israel. How the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so they crossed on dry ground. How he had brought down the walls of Jericho. And by comparison, Chemosh had never done anything like that for Moab. I mean, this is what happened to Rahab. This is how Rahab why she kept the spies? Because she had heard reports of, of the exodus from Egypt. And like Rahab before her, Ruth has likely heard some report of the, the conquest of Canaan and, and the report of God's activity. And she's heard what Yahweh is like and how he has delivered his people. And from now on, Ruth says, your God is my God. I am clinging to your God, Naomi. Her commitment was also a permanent commitment. Lifelong. Again, notice verse 17 and the next phrase in verse 17, where, uh, excuse me, verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I'm not going to go back to Moab and resume my normal life after you're gone. I am staying here. This is now my place. I'm making a lifelong decision. I'm not going back, Naomi. I'm not returning. And then last, this is also an unshakable decision. Well, it should say unshakable there on the bottom, so you'll have to fill that in. Verse 17, please notice this. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And you perhaps are thinking, wow, brave words from a young woman. This is what's called a self-maledictory oath. She's saying, asking the Lord to harm her if she doesn't keep this. Very often an animal sacrifice was involved 
in an oath like this. And the oath was often made, scholars believe, making some kind of motion across their throat to refer to the sacrifice. And so Ruth would have said, May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Very dramatic statement. And then notice the word Lord in your Bible. Notice how it's spelled with small caps. And this uh, indicates that Ruth is using the covenant name of God, Yahweh. She's taken the covenant name of, of God on her lips. This is what we read of in our scripture reading today. Ruth is leaving everything to follow Naomi and to follow Yahweh. Verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. She said no more. This is the second option. When we encounter a hard providence. I put it to you that this is truly the only option. The only real option. The only option worth anything. Oprah did the sensible thing. She chose to return to the security and permanence of Moab, but Ruth did the radical and unexpected. She took a risk and gave her life to Yahweh, the all-powerful God of Israel. She sees this as the only genuine choice to make, and and Israel eventually discovered the same thing. Uh, Ruth discovered this, and you and I will discover this. This is really the only option. The only option that will bring us genuine, lasting relief, authentic satisfaction, legitimate joy, that comes not from turning to Moab in your hard providence, but turning to the Lord in your hard providence. When we turn to Moab, this is what we'll find. Listen to God describe this in Jeremiah chapter 2. And he says to the nation of Israel, before they discovered this, he says, therefore I still contend with you, declares the Lord. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Oh, see, they're doing the, the very opposite of what Ruth has done. They're not leaving Chemosh for Yahweh. They're leaving Yahweh for Baal and for Chemosh and Ashtoreth and the other gods of the, the ancient world. And the Lord calls them cisterns or, or wells, broken wells that can hold no water. 
what they offer leaks out, and you will be left high and dry. And this is what Orpah would encounter. This is what Israel encountered. And we will be no exception that the, what the world offers will also eventually leave us high and dry. But when we turn to Christ, when we turn to the Lord like Ruth did, and Israel sometimes did, He promises everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If anyone thirsts, John 7, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> Excuse me. Back in Isaiah, <clears throat> come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food and incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Oh, oh friend, do you see we're faced with the severe thing? The, 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 the same thing, the, this hard decision that Ruth and Orpah are faced with that, that uh, Naomi thrusts upon them? I'll go back to Moab where there's security and comfort and permanence and rest. And Ruth says, no way. Because I know what your God is like. And I'm going with you. And I don't care what you think. Those are my words, not Ruth's words. You and I are confronted with this hard decision when we face hard providences. Where will we turn? Will we turn to Moab? Or will we turn to the Lord? Well, as scene three opens, we move now from hard providences to hard decisions, and scene three opens to a hard heart. This scene is dominated by an angry speech from Naomi because she says God has made her life miserable. And in scene three, I want to point out two things uh, to you this morning. First, obviously, we are going to encounter 
uh, the bitterness of Naomi. Listen to her bitterness. It, it begins in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? The word stirred there in verse 19 uh, means that Bethlehem is buzzing with excitement. There's joyful and happy shouting. There are confusing and animated conversations, especially among the women, because the men are out harvesting barley after all. And, and they shouted, is this Naomi? I can't believe my eyes. It's been a decade. Everybody, it's Naomi. And then Naomi nearly explodes. Look at verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For my life has been nothing like pleasant. It has been bitter these 10 years. Call me bitter because Yahweh has made my life bitter. In verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full of hope and with food ahead of me. I had everything when I left, but now I'm empty. I live in poverty. And whose fault is this? She's not done yet. I'll tell you whose fault it is, as she goes on uh, in the end of verse 20. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, came back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? She's using legal terminology here in describing what God has done to her. I, I've been tried. I've been found guilty before him. I didn't even know what the charges were. I tell you, it's not fair. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. The word Almighty that she's just used twice is the name Shaddai. Uh, we think of it as El Shaddai. This, this name stresses the, the rule of God over the, the entire universe. And again, she's thinking of God's irresistible power when she uses this name. It, it can be sometimes a term of distance. Uh, sometimes it's translated God of the mountains. And she's calling God the distant one, the all-powerful one, uh, the remote one, the transcendent one. And what can I do in the face of his almighty power? I am I'm helpless. He has brought this on me. He has caused this distress. He has inflicted harm. He has made my life miserable. I'm not stretching the terms. She is consumed with bitterness. Pastor David Strain comments, like Job, 
Naomi thinks herself innocent and God unjust. She's complaining that God has been overly severe, as arbitrary and harsh as she wallows in the bitterness of her grief. This is Naomi's bitterness, the first thing we see in scene three. And because she is consumed with bitterness like this, she suffers from blindness. She is blind to the promises of God. Blind to the promises of God. Pastor Rob, what promises did she have available to her? Well, obviously not the precious truth of Romans 8.28, that in, even in the worst of times, God is at work for His glory and our good. Our, our key thought from last Sunday, she doesn't have Romans 8.28. She doesn't have the promise of uh, later in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So we have to ask, what did Naomi know? She would have known the stories of the patriarchs. Probably not written down yet. They would pass those on as, through oral tradition in, in their families. Deuteronomy 6 instructs them to do this. A, a good Israelite would have known the account of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Probably knew the account of Joseph's, Joseph's abduction by his brothers and God's provision of grain for Israel during that seven years of famine. The account of Joseph, with con which concludes with this precious verse of Genesis 50, 20. Joseph, speaking to his brothers, says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This glorious truth that God would will overrule evil in our lives and use it for His glory and our good. Can we say absolutely certain she knew this? No, of course not. But it's likely, this is a patriarch we're talking about, she would have known those stories. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. She would have known the account of Moses' life from Exodus. Yes, probably most certainly. Again, oral tradition passed down from her mom and dad. The, any Jewish parent would share this uh, with their child. The account of Moses' life that included this revelation from God, the, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. 
Ruth knows God better than Naomi does. God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yes, he is a transcendent God, but he doesn't keep his distance. He is near to the brokenhearted. In whatever form Naomi had heard these stories, her bitterness had, had blinded her to, to, to these descriptions of how God works, the precious truth of His Word handed down to her. She's, she's blind to His promises. And oh, think of how much more you and I have. We do have Romans 8.28. We know that in the worst of times, God is at work for His glory and our good. Naomi is, is blind to this. She can no longer see what God is like as, as the Word describes Him. She's also blind to His provision. And, and please picture this with me in your mind. Part of His provision has been standing right next to her this whole time. Notice verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, and if you forgot she was from Moab, who returned from the country of Moab, uh, emphasizing where she's from. Ruth is, is right here. And Naomi's speaking as if she's not even on the stage. Don't call me full. Call me empty. And Ruth is thinking, well, thanks a lot. after she has just poured out her heart, clinging to Naomi physically, but also as a figure of speech, clinging to everything Naomi has and is, her people, her God. It's striking what Naomi says after Ruth makes this wonderful profession. Oh, thank you, Ruth. I see God providing for me through your commitment. Oh, thank you, daughter. Thank you, daughter. What does Naomi really say? Verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth pours out her heart and Naomi responds with nothing. <clears throat> Crickets. Ruth is daring, adventurous in her faith, has done the extraordinary, committing her heart and soul to Naomi and her people and her God. How could she say, the Lord has brought me back empty? That's not the only thing Naomi misses. Look at the end of verse 22. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. 
Well, that's different. One man observes, Naomi's story began with famine and departure. It ends with harvest and return. It's the beginning of some surprising good that God is about to accomplish in her life. But she can't see it. This is her blindness to the promises of God and the provision of God. John Piper says, there's a lesson here. When we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter we can't see the rays of light peeping out around the clouds. Naomi is so embittered by God's hard providence that she doesn't see his mercy at work in her life. How careful you and I must be when we are in the middle of a bitter providence that we don't go blind to the hand of God at work in our lives. So, what do we find in this return of Naomi? What do we see here? These three scenes reveal to us first hard providences. She, she describes the hard providences of God and what he's allowed, and, and she pleads with, with Orpah and Ruth to go back home. And then scene two, we've seen hard decisions pressed and urged by Naomi. Orpah and Ruth are forced to decide between security in Moab and, and risk with Naomi but also with Naomi's God. And scene three has revealed us, lastly, a hardened heart, convinced that God is out to get her, blind to His Word and, and His provision. We see her hardened in bitterness. Friend, which side has, has hard providence driven you to? Uh, security in Moab. Uh, what makes sense? What's rational? Or has it driven you where it drove Ruth? I know what your God is like. I know what He's done for your nation. And I'm following him. The spring of living water where I can get my thirst quenched with Yahweh. Let me pray. And so, Father, as we're confronted with the same decision that Ruth and Orba, when we're confronted with hard providences that you sometimes allow, May your spirit quicken us in the same way he quickened Ruth. Give us courageous faith to turn to you the only true thing that can satisfy our souls to the depths. Jesus, thank you for your, your grace, your spirit that indwells us. Do this work in us, we pray, Savior, in your name. Amen.